0: Uh, but we're trying to avoid that at all costs tonight. Turn, please, in John's Gospel. That's the fourth book of your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then we come to the fourth Gospel, which is John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 4, please. John's Gospel, chapter 4. Here we have yet another wonderful account of the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with an individual. John's Gospel, chapter 4. I trust you find the place. Let us read and let us hear the reading of God's Word in our midst. John, chapter 4, verse 1, reads, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he, verse 4 is very, very important, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Joseph gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus in the well, and the Spirit of God gives us this information, and it was about the sixth hour. Now we'll come back to all these details, but these details are key in our reading this evening. There cometh, verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, and again, this is an important note, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ opened this conversation with this individual. What did he say? Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it That thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, now he had got her interest at this point. He had really got her interest. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidst thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou wert a prophet, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her. Now look how this conversation is developing here, verse 21. It started off just with a simple request at the end of verse 7. Now the Savior is opening up things to this individual that many others were unaware, blissfully unaware of, Verse 21, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what? We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is. This is a turning point in history. This is a crossroads. As we spoke about this morning. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus really lifted the lid now in verse 26. Really opened her understanding with this. Salvo now in verse 26, Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. In fact, you'll notice The very last word of that 26th verse is given because the translators of the authorized version were honest enough to do this. Every time they supplied a word to help with a sense of the reading that was not there in the original, they put it, as we find this word to be, in the italics. Literally, to read this as it was given in the original, verse 26, let's read it again. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am. He's revealing himself here as the great I am. Now that's hugely significant. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman. And yet no man saith, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, now that's significant, and went her way unto the city and saith unto the men, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did, is not this, the Christ? Then they, that's the men that you witnessed to in verse 29, then they went out of the city and came unto him, and I'd love to read on. I'd love to read from verse 31 on down through that chapter and tell you, as the Spirit of God tells us, how through her revival came to that city of Sychar that day. Let us still our hearts, though. We'll end the reading there for the the sake of time. Let us still our hearts as we come to this final part of the meeting, yet this key part. And that is the preaching of God's Word in our midst. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank Thee this evening, hour that we can come to Thee. We can stop a meeting like this. We can just stop right in the middle. And we can plead with Thee to bless the preaching of God's Word. In fact, Lord, we come to thee now just not because we normally do or because it's the done thing or because it's an order of service that's often followed. Lord, we come to thee now in prayer because, Lord, more than ever and more than for any other part of the service, oh, Lord, we need thee for every breath, every part of the service, every hymn sung, every stage gone through. But, Lord, we need thee especially now. Lord, my prayer is, along with the prayers of God's people in this place, my prayer is that Thou would take Thy word and apply it to individual hearts. Lord, I pray that Thou would give us grace and help to preach this Thy word. I pray, Lord, that it might call for a change, not merely Paul Hannah calling for a change in someone, but Lord, I pray that Thy spirit might work. Within each of us. Oh Lord drive us deeper and further and closer to thee. Further along in the Christian walk. Speak to those that have never. Never came to the cross. Never come to thee. Never ask for forgiveness. I pray Lord that thou would do that even tonight in this meeting. Before the meeting's out. Before eight o'clock comes round that there might be those crying to God in the pews, in this place, and indeed in other places where the word is proclaimed. That's our prayer. We're mindful of those watching online and the distractions that can come in, the knocks to the doors, the even the very wee noise the fridge makes, or small things that don't normally take our minds and our thoughts. But Lord, I pray that thou would cause us to focus upon what Thou would have for us this day. In Thy precious and in Thy holy name we do plead, asking and pleading for Thy help because Thou can give it. In Thy precious and holy name we do ask. Amen. Amen. You know, I have to admit to each of you this evening that lately, over this past number of weeks and months, perhaps more than at any other time, in my Christian experience. The Lord has impressed upon me. More than ever before. I have been struck over and over again in fact. When I study God's word. When I read God's word. When I hear it preached even by others. Of how the Lord Jesus Christ. Of how he always seems. to find a way to deal with, to get right through and deal with the individual. This passage that we've read together this evening, John chapter 4, these verses, these words that we've read together are case in point for what I'm trying to explain to you just now. Of how Christ yet again singles out someone to speak to them on a personal level, to speak to them on the one-to-one. I just wonder, what about you in the meeting this evening? Very often we find the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe in a crowd, maybe in a hustle and bustle situation where he makes a beeline to get to them wherever they are. Or even here. In the example that we have before us, the entirety, in fact, of John chapter 4, not just these first few verses, about how the Lord Jesus Christ went to where she was, this individual who is at the center, besides the Savior, at the center of this passage, to deal with her. In fact, to meet her at the very point of her need. Let me ask again, has the Lord been dealing with you of late? In fact, let me ask you, even in an narrower way than that. Has the Lord been dealing with you today? I don't know why, but the Lord brought me to that passage this morning that deals with the prodigal son. Has the Lord been dealing with you morning and evening today? In fact, has the Lord been speaking to you tonight already as we've got to the stage in the meeting? This account that is recorded for us here in this very chapter of John's Gospel, John chapter 4, is case in point. If ever there was one of how the Lord Jesus Christ goes after the individual. Here we have a case of how Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, because that's who he was, made a point to rendezvous with this woman at the well in Sychar, the most unlikely place, might I add, in the land of Samaria. In fact, as I thought on that remarkable account over this past number of days, It has just struck me yet again how stark the contrast is between what we read here in John chapter 4, these first number of verses, the 21 verses really of John, of of what we've read together this evening, and what we read in its context in the chapter that immediately precedes this one, in the first number of verses of John chapter 3. We read there of how the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with a very different category of sinner. A man who was a very, very religious man, a man by the name of Nicodemus. I've preached from this very pulpit on Nicodemus and how the Lord dealt with him at the very point of his need that's recorded for us in the previous chapter. We don't want to go too much over that again tonight. But what a contrast we have here. And do you know what the contrast between chapter 3, Christ dealing with Nicodemus, and chapter 4, Christ dealing with the woman at the well, do you know what those contrasts show me tonight? They show me that the Lord Jesus Christ not only goes after the individual. I think we've nailed that point home well enough. But how the Lord Jesus Christ deals with us according to our needs. You see, Nicodemus was a very, very different individual. In fact, I thought about some of the contrasts, some of the things that divide these two people, of how the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with these two individuals in these passages, one that lies immediately after and before the other. Nicodemus was a man. That's clear, that's obvious, that almost goes without saying. He was a man who was, in fact, an elevated man, one of the top men in the environment at that time. He was a ruler of the Jews. Whereas this individual that we read of here in John chapter 4 was very, very different indeed. 2,000 years ago, this really did mean something. She not only was a woman, the whale that we read off here in verse seven, they're coming a woman of Samaria to draw water, that's clear. But she was a despised woman at that. She was a low estate woman. She was a woman of Samaria. There's other contrasts as well. Look at verse. 2 of the previous chapter, chapter 3, we read there about how Nicodemus came to the Savior at night. He came under the cover of darkness, but he came to the Savior where he was. Whereas in the passage that we've read from tonight, the Lord went to where she was. Look at verse 4. He must needs go through Samaria. He went to her to meet her at the very point of her need. Has the Lord been dealing with you of late? Nicodemus came to the Savior by night. Here the Savior met with this woman at the hottest part of the day. The sixth to the ninth hour. That's coming up to high noon at the time when the sun was at its height. Couldn't be more different. And Nicodemus is... Dealings with a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, went straight to the point of what needed to be said. Whereas here we have this gradual revelation of Christ revealing Himself unto this woman, and we'll deal, we'll flesh that out a little bit. And then here's another key difference before we move on. Nicodemus largely, and I believe he was saved that day, that night rather, when he came to meet the Savior under the cover of darkness, so that we read of in the first number of verses of John chapter 3, he was saved that night, his name, that very night was added to the Lamb's book of life, but he did what he could, and I suppose we can understand the circumstances, he did what he could to try to keep it quiet, at least from some. He kept his salvation quiet. Now, we do see evidences of how he allowed others to know over a long period of time that the Lord had indeed wrought a work of salvation within him, but how different that was in contrast to this woman at the well. She rushed, in fact, to tell others of what the Lord had done for her. What am I trying to bring out between these contrasts tonight? That the Lord deals with sinners at the very point of their need. From one end of our scale, any scale you want to put out. Here we have a man who was the most religious of the religious. The sort of a boy that would never have missed a meeting. Or never have missed a gathering like this in his local synagogue or temple. And then we have this woman at the well. At the other end of that scale. And yet the Lord had time. The Lord had that inclination to deal with them and meet them at the very point of their need. I don't know what your situation is this evening. I don't know those things that for you make it complicated, those reasons that you put up. I don't know all the things that you might say to me or to someone else if they're trying to witness to you in a one-to-one situation. I don't know those reasons that you might put up as to why you have not as yet come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. But I'm sure of this. No matter where you find yourself tonight, you're somewhere on the scale between where Nicodemus was and where this individual was that we're wanting to deal with tonight. And let me ask you tonight, why would you not come? What is keeping you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight and asking him to come into your heart, come into your soul, to wash away every sin and every stain? Because if you do that tonight, he will do it. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what I'm here with and for tonight, to tell you the good news of the gospel, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, you know it, to save sinners. This evening, I believe, the Lord would have us walk a little further tonight with the Savior. How he would have us go a little bit further in our consideration as he left the environs of Jerusalem behind. That was, of course, the absolute pinnacle of religious pilgrimage and how he would travel to the slums, essentially, to the places, the type of places where no self-respecting Jew would ever go. Never mind be seen. Never mind stop for a few hours, never mind interact with the people there in such a manner as we've read off this evening already. I want us to consider for the few moments that remain this last quarter of the meeting of how the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with this woman at the well. I want us to think tonight about the subject of salvation in Samaria. Because I think some today feel that they have to go to a particular place, a place of high moral standing, and it is there they can and will get saved. In fact, false religion does teach that. You will see many individuals who are adherents to false religion in this land. And they feel like they can go to a particular place and kneel at a particular altar and have their prayers regarded in a higher manner there because of where they sit. That is not what Scripture teaches. Here we have an interaction with none other than God the Son and the Son of God simply at a well in the middle of an insignificant city in the heart of this place called Samaria. Salvation in Samaria, there of all places. Do you realize tonight that you can be saved where you sit? Do you realize tonight, if you're watching online, that you can be saved in your home, you can be saved wherever you might be watching this broadcast? You simply bow your head and ask the Lord Jesus Christ, with true contrition of your sins, repentance and hatred of your sins, you can ask him to come into your heart today. You can do that. First thing that I want us to think upon, and we're really highlighting here for a moment or two on verse four, is the Savior's schedule. We see it here. In fact, look at verse three. It gives the context. He left Judea and departed again onto Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Why is that verse there? Is it there merely to pad out the verses, to make that chapter a little bit longer, to give a few more column inches? A thousand times no. You see, that's what you'll get from every preacher of the gospel. We'll be working with this old thing here. I hate it, you know. I hate it. There was one time I was preaching in Mount Marion, and the watch that preceded this one, I've had this one since my 40th birthday, so I've had it about 35 years. I'm only joking. It'll be coming up to five years I've had it. But the one that I had before this, decided to stop working in the most inopportune moment and that was about 10 minutes into a message in Mount Marion many years ago and I think I preached that day for over an hour before I realized I hate that out thing but every preacher works to the clock or some work to the calendar and we tend to pad out what we say and put in here's a big word superfluous words and superfluous terminology that doesn't really need it Not so with the Spirit of God. Every single word of God is there for a reason. In fact, as the Proverbs puts it, in Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God is pure. It's there for a reason. All Scripture, says Paul as he writes to his son of the faith, Timothy, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Verse 4 included, we could say, he must needs go through Samaria. Why is it there? It's there for a reason. You see, there was nothing really particularly remarkable about the route which the Lord Jesus Christ and indeed his disciples who followed him wherever he bid them to go, they were so good that way, no particular special thing about that route that they took on that occasion. They were merely, I looked at the maps, I checked the distances, I looked at the most obvious route, they were simply traveling down from Judea to Galilee, as verse 3 tells us, and we know from the maps, Google Maps is great, isn't it? we know from the maps that Galilee was about 90 miles north of Judea. Their journey would have naturally taken them through the land of Samaria, but then we started to dig a little bit deeper. And we soon discovered that no self-respecting Jew at all would have chosen that route. In fact, what would have been custom of the day would have been that any Jews, any Jews whatsoever, never mind any of high estate, would have taken the much longer route round Perea to get to where they were going because they wouldn't be seen dead in those environs. And if they, for some rush or some reason, had to go through, they would have rushed through and they wouldn't have spoken to one. Yet we have here verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Why was that? Let me tell you why that was. Because the Lord Jesus Christ had a meeting that had been planned from eternity past. He had a meeting that simply had to be fulfilled that day because he had to meet that individual. Now, does that not make you stop and think? He did it all for her. He went that way, he paused that way, he stopped that way in the heat of the day, that he might speak to that individual. Let me tell you, as I've been really driving this point home the whole of the meeting, but I haven't really put it this direct before, individuals matter to Christ. And let me tell you what one of the lies of the devil is today. One of the lies of the devil today is is to, first of all, one of his tactics is to single people out, to isolate individuals, to set them to the side, and then whisper the lie in their ear that you don't really matter to anyone. And you certainly don't really matter to the Lord. Let me blow that lie completely out of the water this evening. And let me tell you what I've told you already, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You think about how the Lord Jesus Christ, about how God did and does things that we would never think of doing. You think about how a terrorist, such as Saul in Acts chapter, the early chapters of Acts, but in Acts chapter 8 and 9, you think about how Saul persecuted the church, how he went out with anger and vengeance in his heart to bring down the members of the early church, that he might take them bound, that he might take them and slay them, in fact, that he might snuff out the early church. What did the Lord do? What did God do to that man? Did he do as we would do and wipe him off the face of the planet? No, a thousand times no. Because, let me reinforce this point again, individuals matter to him. You, let me put it very personal tonight, especially if you're not saved, especially if you're cold at heart, especially if you're a backslider, especially if you're relying on a false profession, you matter to God. The Lord Jesus Christ dealt with this individual in love. He must needs go through Samaria, then cometh he. Look at how it runs in. Immediately it runs in verse 4. Remember the verse divisions were not in the original. We could read them straight through. He must needs go through Samaria, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near all that context given. All that context, and then we get to verse 7. Then cometh, or there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. The Lord knew all about her movements. He knew all about her schedule. And he timed this meeting from eternity past that he might rendezvous with her there at the well. I can picture that scene. Oh, I can see that scene in my mind's eye. Verse 7, of how she came there to draw water. And there he was sitting thus. I can imagine a wee stone wall round the, round the mouth of the well. And there he was sitting, waiting on her coming because he knew she would come that day. He knew she would come that way and he knew all about her. Do you realize how much you matter to the Lord? He has so ordained your circumstances that you're in the meeting tonight. He has so ordained your circumstances that you've scrolled to this meeting tonight and you're listening to what has been said tonight. Do you realize what you mean to him? Your name is graven. I often think of that as we read in the Old Testament. I preached on it on one occasion on a communion message that we are gra- our names are graven on his hands. We matter to the Lord. And never you listen to the lie of the devil that will tell us otherwise. We better move on and think of something else here. We've thought about the Savior's schedule. Hadn't intended to stay there so long, but look at the Samaritan situation. Look at what we're told about this individual. We're told so much. I love the way the Spirit of God is able to squeeze so much, fit so much into just a few words. We're told a lot here. Now, we've already thought about the stark contrast between this individual, the Samaritan woman, and Nicodemus from the previous chapter. This individual here, she was a sinner of the highest order. And yet the Lord had made a point of going there to be a beeline to where she was. You see, Nicodemus had everything going for him. He had all his knowledge. He had all his position. She was the total opposite to the other end of the scale. What was she? She was nothing but a dirty, rotten, despised Samaritan. That's all she was. She was one even who was ostracized by her own community. Why do I say that? Well, there's evidence here in the passage she would have been shunned by the other women in her home city of Sychar. You see, drawing water from the well, then especially, you'll see it in the Middle East now today, but then especially, it was a job primarily given to the women to do. They would have gone down to the water together at a convenient time, And that would have been, at a convenient time, would have been during the cool of the day, whether it be early in the morning or late on in the afternoon, when the sun was down. And they'd have went together, they'd have chatted, they'd have shared stories, they'd have had that safety in numbers, if you like. This was totally the opposite of what we discovered to be the case here. She's here at the hottest part of the day, and a key thing is the fact that she was on her own. Verse 6 and 7, record that for us. The end of verse 6, it was about the sixth hour. That's, that's the hour in, in the day that brings you up to high noon. When the sun's at its absolute height. And then there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And then the Lord started to speak to that individual. You see, the devil's ploy, at least one of them, he has many ploys. The devil's ploy is to isolate the individual and then to grind us down. Oh, I love watching the nature programs. I was telling somebody this morning, after the morning services, we chatted in the car park, how I love to watch the nature programs about how the big cats hunt and the, the wolves hunt and all the rest of it. And one of the key strategies for any of those predator species is to isolate a member from the rest of the herd. And that's what the Lord does. That's what the devil does. He makes us, he brings us alone, and at least he makes us feel alone. And then he grinds us down and he wears us down just as happens in nature. What about you? Maybe you feel like you're alone. You know, one of the loneliest places to be, and I know what this is like, one of the loneliest places to be is in a crowd. You feel like you're alone. Maybe odd numbers or couple over there chatting and a couple over there chatting and we're sitting on our own and every second feels like 30 seconds and, oh, I wish I was somewhere else. Or maybe you're sitting this evening in that state and you're maybe listening to the word that's been brought and you're, you're agreeing with everything that's been said and you're actually saying to yourself, oh, I'd love to be saved. But you don't know my situation. For me... And I find this to be the case with almost everybody in Northern Ireland. For me, it's complicated. Well, it was complicated for her. And yet the Savior made a beeline to where she was. She was a woman. Let's put this very mildly. Let's be careful in the terminology that we use here. But this was a woman of loose morals, to say the least. And let me say this. The Savior knew all about it. Look at verse 16 on the next few verses. The Lord illustrated this in such a gentle way to this individual. He could have named her and shamed her, but he didn't. You see, he knew all about what she was like, and he knew how to get in on her and show her that there was more to him than it seemed. Because he is, let me say this, the searcher of hearts. Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. Well, she then replied, she had a reply for everything that he said. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And he said unto her, thou as well said, I have no husband. For he whom thou now hast, for thou hast five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that says thou truly. She knew that there was something different about this man. Of course, there is something different about this man. Let me tell you this evening, what is different about this man? He is no ordinary man. He is the God-man. He is the theanthropic God-one. What's that big word mean? It means he's fully God and fully man in one nature. That is the one that we have to do with this evening. In fact, he is the one, this God-man, that I would like nothing more this evening than to introduce you to. You see, he knew all about her sinful state or sin, sinful practices. And yet he made a beeline to be with her, to call her to himself. Oh, there's so many say to me, I would love to be saved, but you don't know what I've done. Oh, I would love to be saved, but I have to sort out this area and that area and set aside that sin in my life. And then perhaps then I'll come. What does the Lord say? He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Did did he say that to her? Did he say, well, go and sort out your life. Go and write letters of apology. Go and sort out your legal status. Go and make sure you're properly married and all the rest of it. And then come back to me, I'll be waiting. No, he didn't do that at all. He met her there at the very well, at the very point of her need. I don't care what your sins are in your past. Or even in your present, I simply turn you and refer you to the Lord Jesus Christ, the One who says, "Come unto me, all ye that labour under heavy laden, and I will the promise of God, and I will give you rest." His invitation goes forth. I pass forward His invitation. It's not ours. No church. No minister. Paul Hannah cannot, if I could save you, I would. If I could carry you to the cross, I would. But I cannot save you tonight, but I can turn you and refer you. That's all I am, a signpost. I can refer you to the one who can save you. There's something else here that I want to see as well, and that is the sinner's revelation, and was really hinted at this already. You see, in John chapter 3, the Lord was dealing with a very different individual. He was dealing with Nicodemus, somebody who knew the law back to front. And he went straight to the point on that occasion. But here, his interaction with this type of individual was so different. He used an object lesson initially to do with water to reveal himself to her that day. In fact, look at verse 28. Now, this would have been, this is worthy of note. This is not the, something that we see today on the TV where they're walking about with an oil oil drum, catching dirty water. You know the adverts that try to get money out of you. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. Now, her water pot would have been something that would have been valuable to her. But this, at this stage of this interaction between the Savior and her, the penny dropped for her. And she knew it wasn't about the water. She left it behind and she ran toward the city because she knew there was something here that was much, much deeper, much, much more important than merely water. But right throughout this interaction, and there is this gradual unfolding here, slowly but surely, it dawned upon this individual, this woman at the well, who she was speaking to. Let me tell you this evening, the one that we're dealing with tonight is the one who condescended the Son of God and God the Son, the one who left willingly, left the splendor of heaven's glory and he came all the way to this sin-cursed earth where he did many things. But the principal reason Christ came was that he would go all the way to the cross of Calvary where he would suffer and bleed and die the just for the unjust that he might save individuals like you and me. That's why he came. That's the gospel. That's it. That's the gospel. And here we have this revelation of how the Lord Jesus Christ revealed himself to this. Look at verse 9. Uh, she knew that he was a Jew. As soon as he spoke, in fact, even before he spoke, from his dress, from his demeanor, from the way that he looked, she knew that, there was, that he was a Jew, that he wasn't one that was likely to interact. And then verse 11, verse 15, verse 19, it was upgraded now from merely a Jew. She was now referring to him as sir. In fact, verse 19, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. He had spoken to her so much that she knew there was definitely something different about him. But now look at verse 29. Verse 29, her report, her testimony to others, to the men of the city. Now she had no report at all among the women. That's clear. But she had a relationship, and we'll not go into that, with the men. They listened to her. Verse 29, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Now look at how she refers to him. Is not this the Christ? You see, he had revealed himself to her in such a way that he could be none other than the promised one, than the Messiah. And she knew it. She knew it. Let me ask you this evening, let me be direct tonight in the gospel. Let me ask you, let me challenge you. Has the Lord revealed himself to you as yet? Has the Lord been speaking to you using that still small voice? We read in this passage of how the Lord Jesus Christ, I can imagine, I can picture the scene of how he spoke softly and gently and quietly. Never once would he have spoken down to this woman in a judgmental way, in a way that would have driven her away from him. No, in fact, the opposite. She was drawn to him. That's the way my Savior deals with individuals, with sinners with you tonight? Has he been revealing himself? Has he been speaking to you? What about in the stillness of the meeting tonight? Has he been challenging your soul? What about in the two services today? Has he been challenging your soul? What about over this past number of weeks and months, maybe even longer? Has he been speaking to your soul? And let me ask you yet again, what is keeping you back? I'm here tonight a servant of Jesus Christ, with this message, would you not come? Would you not ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to come into your life? The Lord used her in a mighty way. Oh, I believe she was saved that night. That day, rather. It was the height of the day. She was saved that day. But through her, many, many others were saved. But you know, whenever I read the verses that we haven't read, from verse 31 onwards, I read of a limited time opportunity. In fact, I'll maybe just turn you to one of those verses. In my Bible, it's a page turn, but it's in verse 43. Now, what happened? And when did it happen? The people flocked out of that city, Sychar, to where the Saviour was. Many were converted. Many were turned to the Lord through her witness. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Many were brought, but it was a time-limited offer. Look at verse 43. Do you see it? Do you see the reference to two days? You know, there are many tonight playing fast and loose with the gospel. I don't know. Maybe you're one of them. And maybe you're saying, yes, I would love to be saved, and I believe everything that you're saying, but I will leave it to a more, as Felix said, convenient season. We never read of how he came, because I don't believe he ever did. You see, one of the lies of the devil, we've talked tonight about lies of the devil, one of the lies of the devil is this. To teach you and to encourage you to procrastinate. What's that big word mean? It means to put off to tomorrow or some other future day that will hopefully never come as far as he's concerned. What you should do right now. That is procrastination. The sin of procrastination has taken many's soul to hell. Would you not come tonight and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart? They had two days to respond. They had two days to come. They mightn't even have known it was two days. He could have left at any time. My spirit, we read God says in Genesis 6 and 3, my spirit shall not always strive with man. What tonight? What if this was your last opportunity to come? Where would eternity find you? Oh, I've said this so many times. There are a lot of people who are so careful about the things in life, like car insurance and house insurance, that wouldn't take their car out onto the road if it wasn't taxed and wasn't fully insured and all the rest of it, and yet they play fast and loose with their souls. Would you not come tonight simply ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart and into your life. He finished the work that we don't need to add anything to it. Oh, might you cry as the Philippian jailer did all those years ago, and he's in heaven tonight because of it. What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas were there. God's servants were there as I am tonight and the elders are to give an answer as Paul and Silas were on that occasion. They said this, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The words of our closing hymn ask the question. It says this, Is there a heart that is waiting, longing for pardon today? Hear the glad message proclaiming. Think of this line Jesus is passing this way. Well, just sing that first verse of 227, if you're using your hymn book, it's on page 268, but I really want you to think of the words tonight. And I do not want any individual to leave God's house tonight, to leave out through those double sets of doors, out into the darkness of the night without getting right with God. I'm here. I'm in no rush away. I would love to take time to point you in God's holy word to the only one who can deal with your sin. Is there a heart that is waiting? Is your heart waiting? What are you waiting on? There's no better time than right now. 227.